Hello and welcome to Clod of War. It's season three, episode one. It's the start of a new era and I'm Christy. And I'm Dan. It's what, April the 5th, is it? It is the 5th of April, yeah. Yeah, April 5th, 2021. Uh, and there has been a huge amount of stuff happening but uh, over the last few months. But what we're going to do is a slightly different format. We're going to try something different this season and go for, um, I don't know what you call it, Dan, a deeper dive into a single subject as part of the... Yeah, so we'll still do what we've currently been playing, what we're looking forward to, um, but in the middle rather than skirt around some of the news issues. Um, just chat a bit more in depth about a particular subject du jour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, it, I, th- I, think it, I think it should lead to some interesting discussions, actually. Uh, and what we're going to start with tonight is we're basically just going to talk about Sony and what the hell is going on there. That's the, the going to be the main theme for tonight. But to start with... We will get back to basics and start talking about what we've been playing. Yes. Shall I kick us off? Yep. Go on. I have recently finished Immortals Phoenix Rising. Yay, that's a fab game. It is. It's a lovely game. It's what um, the team that did Assassin's Creed Odyssey did next, essentially. And it is another Ubisoft open world game. Um, and it follows a lot of the usual Ubisoft open world design cues. But I, it's just, I found it a lot more fun to play. And it kept me going and captivated all the way through. It was originally touted as Gods and Monsters. Yeah. And it's based around Greek mythology. And it's just quite lighthearted. It's got a lovely fighting engine. Runs very nicely and looks very nice on the newer consoles. Um, and it's sprinkled with quite a lot of little puzzles as well which i thought kind of broke up the the battles quite nicely yeah i thought i felt like the loop was uh really quite pleasing in that respect because you you never felt like it i i at least felt like it wasn't monotonous I, i wasn't having to do the same thing the whole time i could break up my I play quite easily by going off and doing something very different all the way through. And I quite liked the puzzles. A lot of the puzzles were really quite satisfying, I found. I thought the puzzles were nicely weighted in terms of none were too obscure or difficult. They were all Mm. reasonably self-contained in that you didn't have to wander off anywhere particularly far to solve it. So you knew it was somewhere around your location. And there was a good variety in sort of complexity there was nothing particularly new or groundbreaking about it i just thought it was largely well done with a couple of really sort of nice standout ones where things like where you were playing pinball or um some of the larger more involved puzzles were were really good yeah and the kind of breakout inspired puzzles were incredibly satisfying as well i found i quite enjoyed those yeah yeah no it all all told um, it's the first ubisoft game i've finished in i don't know 10 10 years (laughs) i finished it and almost rinsed it really yeah so i i of the big four regions to start with i rinsed all of those apart from one or two little bits and then it was only when i got to the last two sections where i i just kind of skimped through Mm. most of it 
but just finished off the game. I'll go back at some point, but I was already pretty much overpowered at that point, which I thought was quite quite satisfying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, by comparison, I thought right now I know how to play an Ubisoft game. I must have forgotten because I finished that um, and they can't all be... Because one of the things that I've always had with Ubisoft games, particularly the open worlders, is um, I just can't I can't get invested in the characters. Not necessarily the main character uh, in Assassin's Creed games, for example, but the surrounding ones, especially when you uh, get sucked back into the real world, th- those sections where you're in, I don't know, corporate dystopia or whatever it is i always find those really jarring and really they're not likable people at all and it just spoils the entire game for me and with phoenix in mind i started playing valhalla yeah and really enjoyed it got sucked out of the game to go back into that kind of modern day and never went back (laughs) i just i cannot be doing with it there's something about the way that the traditional Ubisoft model designs their characters that uh, I just inherently find objectionable and I, I, I find myself not wanting to engage with it. But Immortals Phoenix Rising, I loved all the characters. They were great. Yeah. I thought the humour was good. Um, the characters and the way that they put Greek mythology into the game and mm. and um, covered all some of the little stories and things was really quite well done as well and i think it was a case of developing a more fun light-hearted game really helped because it seemed like the developers and the designers were enjoying themselves too so it's kind of aimed for something that's more fun in that respect and they've ended up with a an experience that's a lot more easy to play yeah i, I do hope it influences the way they design subsequent games because it's be, I think it's been universally praised as, you know, the the first genuine leap forward in the, the Ubisoft model for game design in a long time. Yeah, I think, uh, see, one of the things with open world games I find is that they're very poorly suited to being played through quickly and yeah, um, yeah. spending long periods day after day to go through. And I think that plus potentially what I suspect happened in reviews were that they were given a sort of heads up, head up, made a bit more powerful. I know certainly in previews they were giving people, they were leveled up and, and had a lot more skills. And if you don't experience the game like a lot of people will play the game, then I don't think the reviews reflect that. And I think to an extent that came across in some of the reviews for Phoenix. But it, it, it got decent reviews. I don't think it got the sort of reviews it maybe should have done, given how much it, it had done differently. But I know, maybe that's just me. But I think a lot yeah. more people who've played it seem to get a better experience than some of the reviews yeah i think that's something that seems to be a problem with with reviews in general these days is you know when it's your job to review something in the space of two days you're gonna get a bit irritated with it after you know fairly quickly yeah something else i've just finished in preparation for the new one is ratchet and clank so this is the 
PS4 game that was more of a remake of the first one, and it's available on the PlayStation Plus collection, and it was also made available free as part of the Play at Home thing for, that Sony was doing. But I thought I'd go back and play it because I'd, I'd started it a couple of times but never finished it, and I played through. Very enjoyable. It looks stunning for a last really? gen game, yeah. I think that some of the stuff that Insomniac do, the sort of the the shaders they have and the way that they can make things look nice. It already had a PS4 Pro patch, so it was already mm-hmm. running at a higher resolution. And halfway through my playthrough, they released a 60 FPS patch as well, so that PS5 plays at 60 FPS. But it, it already looks really nice, and it, it's good fun to play through it you can notice some of the slightly clunky old-fashionedness to some of the things but it's still a cracking game and lots of fun to play um do you want to talk about one of the ones you've been playing next yep uh, let's start with iRacing still playing iRacing the main reason i i bring it up is well moving moving into the next season i i was able to move up a I kind of, I guess you could call it a division. I I kind of moved up into different cars and that's a whole new world of uh, learning, which was incredibly interesting. But the thing that happened over the, over the the months in between now and the last episode was I got a bad case of gas. (laughs) Um, Gas. Now this comes from, well, I learned this, uh, acronym from photography it's basically gear acquisition syndrome <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it, it was always going to happen but i ended up getting a ridiculous new wheel which literally cost more than my first car <laughs> and for my birthday i turned for 50 a couple of days ago it's a horrendous thing it's, it's not good. happy birthday um, to you. <laughs> But um, because my wife is awesome, she got me a ridiculously nerdy handbrake, which is far more solid and well-engineered than the handbrake in our own car, (laughs) Uh, which is awesome. And I've been playing some WRC with that as well. Um, But it's just been, you know, these things have kind of elevated the... I'm not sure it's elevated my driving performance because that's always going to be bad, but just the level of immersion and the kind of the detail and the feedback and all that kind of stuff has been amazing since I certainly since I got the wheel and that's that's really sucked me back into iRacing although the last couple of weeks I've, I've not been able to get uh, a decent race in I've not had uh, much time but that's mainly what I've been playing I think the, last... the, the most impressive bits of your kit to me is the fact that you've got shoes and gloves as well <laughs> I think it's that, that's the next level shit there. <laughs> it is. That, that is total next level shit. To be fair, the um, my pedals are really cold metal. <laughs> um, and they're also quite sharp. I'm uh, shaking so my something. head. <laughs> so, you know, having something to protect my feet is fine. I, admittedly, socks would do. You get some racing socks, by the way. <laughs> Uh, the gloves uh, are the the steering wheel that I've got. The rim I've got is Alcantara suede or whatever it's called, um, and that's more to protect that. It, but um, you know, it doesn't hurt that it makes me feel like a racing driver. 
<laughs> so and that was an, that was an awesome present from my daughter as well. So yeah, they're cool. <laughs> and yes, deeply nerdy, I will admit. Uh, other than that, um, uh, oh yeah, I will briefly mention I had a go at, there's a video online, went online about a week ago, an early access racer called Drag, which is, how to describe it, it's like if Roll Cage had uh, Wreckfest phys- uh, physics. I think is the best way to describe it. Um, it's quite bare bones at the moment. It's just mostly kind of time trial, kind of hot lapping stuff. But some of the challenges have a really strong element of track mania, which I totally didn't expect because of the realistic physics. Uh, so it's it's a really interesting uh, game that's being developed by two brothers in Germany um, and, and actually quite impressive. So I'll stick a link to the video in the uh, description when we upload this but that was quite fun to play so yeah I've been playing a couple of racing games mainly right. I'm going to mention a couple of Game Pass specials yeah that I've been playing through um, Monster Train it's very much like Slay the Spire if you've ever played that a sort of card battling game yeah I, I really like Slay the Spire actually it's very recommended it's a strange idea that you're in this train and it's sort of multi-level and the idea is to get to the end of a section and you get various waves or battles that you go through but i think actually i've enjoyed it more than i enjoyed slay the spire and i enjoyed slay the spire quite a lot mm. it just kind of fits together nicely is a little bit more predictable in what you can choose and and how you go about things um, and it's got some really nice mechanics to it as well. Right. So that's a good one to try on Game Pass. And Vermintide 2 is also on Game Pass at the moment. I we, Did we play Vermintide together a little? The original a one? A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I found Vermintide, the original one, a little bit like a free-to-play title that was sold to you. In the, right. I, it was a yeah. little bit too stingy in what it gave you and quite tough. So you could go through quite a long level, fail at the end, and get nothing. And there didn't seem to be that decent a sort of levelling grind to it. Um, Or the the main loop, it was fun to play, but the main loop wasn't quite there for me because I just felt like I wasn't making any progress. Vermintide 2, maybe it's got some easier game settings, but it's just a lot more enjoyable. Um, yeah, probably helps. It looks really nice and it, it controls really nice, but it it's more you get a decent smattering of stuff each time you go through. You you feel you're not, like you're making some progress and and leveling yourself up. But there's always something more that you can go for, and then you can start up in the levels and stuff. It's a little bit more like World War Z in how it does the progress. Um, uh, yeah, I'd, uh, yeah, I think I would agree with that. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, very enjoyable, lots of fun, and better than Vermintide One. Good. One thing that we've both been playing, and I'm quite surprised you've stuck with, <laughs> <laughs> is Destiny Two. Yeah, because um, uh, I, if we, I kind of got a little bored when I was if just after the PS five had launched i had completely rinsed demon souls and i was looking for something that would give me you know the sense that i'd got a next gen console really because demon souls really did that and what i didn't expect was for essentially a 10 year old game to do that for me 
<laughs> I mean, I know Destiny 2 isn't, but, you know, it's effectively old Destiny, and I think that's what they're aiming for now. I th- I've found it really very enjoyable uh, going back into it, just going in once a week, doing the strikes. They seem to be finally finding the right path to keep their players happy as well. Re- recently, they've started making the right noises about things like getting rid of shaders, you know, so you won't have to constantly have to pay out for, you know, if you want to color your armor in or whatever. You know, all of these things are things that they need to get rid of and they're starting to. And it's just always been one of the best shooters out there, regardless. I think that's the key to what's kept me in there. So I played the original Destiny a reasonable amount and then Destiny 2 came out and I played the first bit to get to the tower and then kind of didn't have the impetus to go on really other more shiny things took my attention and i just started playing those but same with you there was a um next gen patch so i'd give thought i'd give it another go and there's a surprising amount that's there that's free so i've i've ended up buying two of the expansions but that doesn't actually from what we play week to week that hasn't added all that much no, I think it's more the season pass that'll do that, really. Yeah, but the core gameplay is just so much fun and so well or finely tuned that it's just lovely to play. And so that's what's kept me in. It's confusing as hell. God, yes. When you start, <laughs> and particularly if you play Destiny 2 before, because it feels like Destiny 1, and then it takes you through a few little quests and things, and then nothing. <laughs> And you're a little bit stumped at what you're actually meant to be doing and how you progress things and do things. And But with the help of friends, <laughs> I've worked out <laughs> the, just the regular one night a week, do the strikes. I think if you were playing a lot more frequently, then maybe you'd start feeling that things are repeating a little bit too much. Then I suppose you'd be going on to some of the tougher things, but I don't know. I think that... W- it feels like they're adding, starting to add enough stuff in for the variety to be maintained. Yeah. From night to night, just they're starting to get there. They've they're adding in old strikes, which is wonderful. Some of the old Cosmos uh, drum strikes have been great to play again, and they've added a completely new one just this last week, mm. um, attached to the current story that's going on with the Cabal. And I think this that is going to. They need to keep on doing that. They need to keep on, you know, bring back old strikes that they got rid of, and add new ones, and stop uh, stop sunsetting stuff, which is their word for just archiving or whatever. And they've said that they're going to stop the whole sunsetting, particularly with uh, gear, yeah, because that was really quite annoying. It was like almost pointless trying to build up a you know a decent loadout because by the end of the season you didn't know if you were going to have it anymore. But they've basically admitted to that was a mistake or a misstep, and so. It feels like, you know, come back in a, a year's time and you'd be able to play, you know, more regularly than we are once a week and and still have variety from night to night, I think. Um, yeah, so that's Destiny 2. Which brings us nicely onto something we're both playing. I have caned, completely caned, because <laughs> I'm addicted to it. I absolutely love it. I don't care that it's janky. I don't care that it's had a really bad launch. Let's just say it. It's, yeah. In terms of server... When you say you've caned it, since launch, yeah. I've been able to play it one night so far. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's Outriders. And it, part of that is, I, you know, I actually really want it to work because if it doesn't, then we're back to microtransactions and predatory practices and all of that stuff. We want screenix of all corporations to to realize that this is the way to make a game and as far as yes it's clunky yes there's there's been times when i was retreating from a massive horde of bad guys and got foiled by a plank on the ground (laughs) and couldn't back away (laughs) i've had you know there are weird archaic design decisions where some things you can mantle and others that are the exact same height or smaller you can't climb over. There's all sorts of weird things like that. But by the same token, the moment-to-moment play is fabulous. They are incredibly generous from the very outset. It's It makes Destiny feel quite mealy-mouthed by comparison, just in terms of like how often they let you trigger your superpowers. You know... Just even the basics like that, they, they are quite happy to let you have at it. And and it feels amazing. One, certainly when you get a fair, you know, a few hours into the game and you've unlocked a few more skills and I, I've just unlocked a gun that brings down a lightning strike with every bullet. <laughs> <laughs> they don't care. It doesn't make sense. They know it's fun. Yeah. And it, you know, I, and I love it for that. I love the nonsense B movie stuff because I like B movies. You know, it it's it's all fine, and they they are well aware that it's it's not a you know a great magnum opus sci fi saga. What it is is a fantastic romp. I think I probably I don't know how, but I think I've probably got about twenty hours already. Yeah, so I'm a little bit behind you. <laughs> <laughs> In that I've played similar to what was in the demo, basically. Right. But it is just fun to play. I'm even kind of quite liking the story, even though it's reasonably standard sort of fare for this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. I'm starting to read the little logs and journals and stuff to see the backstory behind different characters. Yeah, I, I, I find myself doing that, and I never do that in games. Yeah. But actually, just the general gameplay is really nice. It's fun. It's rewarding. And actually, playing solo, I've played it all solo so far. Mm-hmm. That's really quite good as well. Yeah, I I mean, I've been playing with Gordon, our mate Gordon, and the way that the synergies work between characters. And I think this would work even if you had the same class because you can build so differently. I think you'd still find synergies in there. That works really well and it's incredibly fun. But yeah, I've played I've played most of it solo. And it, what has fascinated me is that the way that you approach each area is very different depending on the class you're playing. Yeah. And it it does almost turn it into a different game. I was saying on the forum earlier on, uh, each class feels like it could grace its own game quite happily. And you still feel like there was a crazy amount of uh, ways to tweak it yeah i've contact Namancy, which is more the support mm. distance shooter so i've got assault rifle and a sniper rifle in general i'm approaching levels or sections battle arenas by sort of sticking to the back trying to keep them pinned in and taking yeah. them from a distance but the other characters would do that completely differently god yes i mean like the devastator is unbelievably aggressive 
uh, generally not something I gravitate to, but it's just so much fun in this game. And and the um, I can't remember the name of the class, but the time warpy, zippy zappy one uh, with the spate, the time slow bubble, and being able to teleport to the entire back of the map pretty much it just requires completely different sets of skills and types of awareness of the of what's going on around you is that the trickster that's it that's the trickster just it's in in terms of you could literally i I have quite happily gone through and played the first few hours of the game three times already i think it's quite nice in the way that it just it's got a story to it, and you can play through that story, but it's also quite generous in how it lets you do things again. So you do a quest, you get a choice of things at the end, and then you can do the quest again. <laughs> yeah. And just pick something different next time. It's um, it's just very flexible about how you want to play through what they've put together. Yeah. And, you know, where, where things would be, I don't know, I think a lot of creative not just game developers but you know filmmakers story writers they these days because of the internet they have to try and be logically consistent all the way through or they'll get hung drawn and quartered within half an hour of going live these guys don't care (laughs) they just don't care about logical and i love that I, i love the fact that you know they just they just want you to go in and have fun and and hang all the rest of it and it's just been outrageously refreshing it's also probably worth noting that outriders is on game pass day one Mm. which was a bit of a surprise and a shock but it's very much interesting in the grander scheme of things of what microsoft's current intent is initially i was a little bit miffed about that just because i'd already pre-ordered i don't really pre-order and i pre-ordered ps5 and it was very late the announcement it was like they'd scrambled to grab it for game pass uh, quite late on yeah i was wondering about that although i did notice that the game runs on azure uh, which might link into the game pass deal possibly yeah for, for those who are wondering, Azure is Microsoft's server setup, I guess. Yeah. It's their cloud offering. Yeah. So, yeah, I thought that was quite interesting in that respect. Yeah. But, you know, all told, it's just been, I know it's been, you know, a mixed bag in terms of servers being stable. Although, touch wood, I'm touching my head right now. It seems to be have been stable since Sunday. They seem to have yeah. fixed the worst of it. Which is great, you know. It was it was the Easter holiday weekend, and it, it literally went free on Game Pass, so it's kind of understandable that they would have teething troubles. It was they were quite spectacular. Though. <laughs> I managed to when I, I played it the first night. Took a little while to log in, created my character, landed on the planet, got to the first log the very first log where it teaches you how to mantle and as I mantled it it kicked me out <laughs> <sighs> just fab yeah yeah so I think that's it is it that's what we've been playing mostly oh I, I'll just briefly mention Monster Hunter Rise which is a joy I won't say much about it but when I've not been playing Outriders I've been playing that which is why I haven't managed a race in iRacing this week. <laughs> Lovely. Hey. 
we now move on to our new segment, Summit to Talk About. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And as indicated at the start of the show, we're going to be talking about Sony. And this is really sort of in in the context of PlayStation 5 launch. But what's gone on in the last couple of years internally Mm. at Sony and what we're actually seeing happen at the moment internally at Sony and how that we think that's going to affect things. What's interesting about that, what's good, what's bad. I think it's worth pointing out that they've had a very positive start to the generation. Yes, Um, absolutely. By most accounts, they've had better sales than Microsoft. Um, They've produced more and sold more. It's the desirable piece of kit to get and keeps making the news headlines because of scalpers. Buggy scalpers? Yes. It's a nice machine. It's got a great controller. It surprised us by being actually good at backward compatibility, at least as far as the PS4 is concerned. I think it surprised a lot of people just by how it compares to the Series X, technically. Yeah. I think that there's been games where it's it's performed better and it's at least keeping pace in just about everything else. There's a couple of notable exceptions either side, but yeah, I think people have been surprised that it's as good or as comparably good as the Series X, which I think is kind of a good thing anyway. Um, You've got all the little console warriors arguing over one or two frames per second or a few extra pixels, then the rest of us can just carry on playing the games just you wait until the nvidia version of dlss and then amd's take on it yeah that is that is allegedly coming yeah so all good seems like they've learnt from the previous generation chapter a decent box and all things are tickety-boo and going great Stuff has been going on behind the scenes. I mean, from the outside. So so this is kind of where it gets a bit inside baseball, I guess. Because, you know, a lot of it is pure speculation and rumour. And we've done a, I mean, we've done a fair bit of research over the last <laughs> 12 hours. Uh, <laughs> Extensive. <laughs> but, I mean, so so looking back, at the, the original thing that seemed to trigger all this was this weird power struggle between Sean Layden and Jim Ryan. Uh, and there's just something weird about that. It seemed to centre around, uh, from what I could glean, it seems to centre around crossplay for the most part. Yeah. And what was weird was that it seemed like Sean Layden was in favour of crossplay, and then he walks out, and it's really weird. The only thing that happens with Sean Layden leaving is a single tweet from Sony, nothing from Sean Layden, seemed to be fairly acrimonious. And then weeks to maybe a couple of months later, Sony starts giving way in terms of crossplay. And so it's quite a confusing picture at that point. And then we've got, um, now who is it? It's Michael Denny uh, left to become the head of TC Games. Now, Michael Denny, let me check this. He was 25 years with Sony Interactive Entertainment. And at the time that he left, he was senior vice president of Worldwide Studios Europe. So uh, that was another higher up now. That article is from about a year ago. And then you've got Shuhei Yoshida 
gets moved uh, from being Worldwide Studios president to head of indie. That was the really odd one. Yeah. See, in some respects, that made sense from what, what you could see of Shuei Yoshida and what he enjoyed and the mm. sort of games he talked about in that he would be good in that role. But it did seem like a fairly hefty step down the rungs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it hasn't stopped there. Um, so, so we've had these kind of people you could consider as being, in terms of the world of corporate bastards, you could see the, these guys being Jim Ryan's main competitors. People who could give him... This, I mean, this is how I was working in my head anyway. Watched Corporate Bastards for a sizable part of my life. He, you know, he's, he seems to be moving these kind of competitors away from his immediate sphere, you know, or they're, out, or they're leaving. And then you've got the recent kind of, we'll, we'll get onto this later on, but uh, more recently they just had a restructure. And the interest, the, the wording was interesting in that it talks about Jim Ryan keeping his job as PlayStation CEO uh, in, some, in some of the articles I read. But they got rid of a, a large amount of people who were, you know, immediately around him um, just in the last few months and have moved people who are uh, specifically part of VR uh, development and you know the VR push into those positions kind of alongside Jim Ryan so there's there's some still some interesting maneuvering going on in Sony and it's it's not that I'm interested in the soap opera of this it's I'm interested in what this is going to do to Sony's path through the next generation because I think they've started well yeah but I I worry that Sony are starting to suffer because of the way that Jim Ryan has uh, has kind of maneuvered his way into this position. Do you know what I mean? It's, it, it has all the ho- the hallmarks of like a massive corporate pissing contest. Yeah, I think it's underlying it all. There's more of a a change to be more global and presenting more of a a fixed corporate image so if you compare it to microsoft microsoft are largely american um, Mm. but they do present worldwide they tend to present at least gaming wise a single corporate image whereas with sony you had playstation europe you had playstation japan and there was distinct marketing and how things were done associated with those elements yeah i mean from a customer point of view Customers got treated totally differently depending on where they were in the world. Yes. I think that the, this had downsides and upsides. The downsides were the variability and availability of stuff and how things were dealt with depending on which part of the world you were from that just seemed a bit odd and strange. But on the flip side, you did get a nice variety of, of how they were communicating with you. So there's a PlayStation yeah. Japan. So YouTube-wise, I subscribe to PlayStation Japan, PlayStation Europe, PlayStation, and PlayStation Access. On the Xbox side, Xbox and Xbox on, but there's no regional variations on the, the standard Xbox. It was always worth, my son asked me the other day, why are you subscribe to PlayStation Japan? And it's because it puts out different content, has a different focus and shows different games. Mm -hmm. But actually, I've noticed, particularly with 
PlayStation Europe, there's very little content going out. Yeah, no, it's become really quite homogenized now. It's um, it's not even that they're just putting out the same content. It's that they're just not putting out content. And I think there's a, a general shift to globalize, make things singular marketing. And then this is where I I I do worry about Jim Ryan's influence because like, because I mean he's a he's taking credit for this worldwide streamlining that they're doing and I can I can understand it I can understand where it works but the the the, the UK blog the or the EU blog and all their blogs around the you know for different parts of the globe that gave them more of a personal feel. It gave them more. It was the first part of their mechanism they had that made their games feel more indie. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You, they they felt like their games were targeted to you, whereas with Microsoft's approach, it's, it is much more a blanket approach to the way they push things forward. And and now that they're going the same way, I think it feels more distant, I, I think is the thing. You know, Microsoft feels a little bit more distant from the gamer or did and that's why i liked sony was because it felt more connected and i don't think it does now i think it feels just as distant as as microsoft does now yeah i think it's not quite yet got the Mm. the very american feel to it but i'm worried that it could end up like that i think that the marketing etc i think generally sony marketing tends to be more global than American, whereas Microsoft's marketing is all very horribly American. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I, I subscribe to Xbox on, but I very rarely actually watch the videos unless there's something that I'm only going to get the videos or the information from there. I can't watch it because it's it just feels horribly impersonal and scripted. Yeah. Is, it, is that the one... That feels like a really bad Saturday morning kids program. Yeah, it's the one. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Um, uh, where, where every 10 minutes they try and show you a different controller. Yeah. They had a 10-minute uh, video for unboxing a new controller. It's quite impressive. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And the, anything Major Nelson, I just can't watch all, any sort of fluff where they've got somebody talking video that they put out. I just can't watch it. Yeah. No, I agree. I think. I think. I mean, it feels like Major Nelson is being put out to pasture. I know this is a Sony bit, but it, it feels like he's being he's less at the forefront these days, which is, you know, I'm fine with. Yeah, I think it's relevant because it's one of the reasons which has, at least in the past, differentiated Sony from Xbox. That's true. Yeah, um, but we shouldn't end too far down that route. Because <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna lay into Major Nelson in another episode. Yes. <laughs> Save that. <laughs> um, but Sony does it. It still has PlayStation access, which I find really quite enjoyable to watch in general. A couple of the presenters I find really good to just listen to and have them present things, even that even when you know they're doing quite a fluff piece and it, yeah. it's all going to be this is great they're just more personable mm-hmm. yeah and they don't feel like they're they're being overly careful about how they describe and talk about things so i quite enjoy that and i'm worried that that's going to go yeah I, I mean i i don't know personally i think it's on the cards but i think you know unless ryan goes 
maybe that's the only way to uh, that maybe that's the only way to I don't know save the Sony Sony that we like. They certainly get a fair amount of negative coverage in the press. You know, uh, I I just saw um, I saw a headline and it was the it was a reader's article in the Metro talking about uh, there was a PlayStation fan who's uh, currently worried about whether uh, Jim Ryan is selling PlayStation down the river type thing, and it's it's not necessarily whether that's true or not but it certainly it's weird that the perception is very much out there yeah i think that some of the stuff he's doing isn't going down particularly well i think no. that to an extent at least initially it's likely to go down quite well financially yeah so the, the yeah i was thinking about this as well the and there is an argument that he's doing a really good job yeah. sony just had an amazing launch but there's also an argument that he's riding on the coattails of something you know he's, he's riding the wave of something that got set in motion by andrew house five years ago or longer you know what i mean and it's a, it, i see i have a similar feeling about the way uh, the success of the nintendo switch as well it's not necessarily that the current ceo is doing a great job it's that the previous one did yeah and we won't see the real effects of what these current guys do for a wee while yet i think no I think that also we've got something or a lot stronger and more seriously invested Microsoft that could upset the Apple cart somewhat. Yes. And also it's a it's a Microsoft that now has absolutely no bloody competition in the cloud space. Yes. <laughs> well done, Phil. <laughs> I don't mean Microsoft, Phil. No. <laughs> Change and the way crossplay came in. Do you, you think that was a Sean Layden legacy thing? Yeah, it was a weird thing because it, initially I felt like uh, Layden, it, the, the way that crossplay happened as soon as Layden left, I, I at the time assumed that Layden was the obstacle. But yeah, that's what, that's what I remembered thinking that you thought. In terms of, you know, when I was researching this, it, general consensus seemed to be that it was Ryan that was resistant. But it's just like, you know, it's weird. Is it, is it, if that's the case, is this some kind of weird Machiavellian thing where you resist the thing that is sure to be successful because it would give your competitor a leg up? Yeah, resist it until you've got rid of him and then... And then take credit? Yeah. You know, and it's not just... You know, you can see that if you start thinking along those lines, and I know this is heavy speculation and entirely untrue, <laughs> but you, you kind of see that pattern in a lot of the weird mixed messaging that's been going on from VR to their response to cloud gaming to, I don't know, even we'll talk about it in a wee bit, but closure of some other studios. And there's there's just this weird kind of, it feels like maneuvering to me. You know, it, it's just odd. I think, yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that he's, this is a famous thing, a quote of his was when he started, there's the launch of Gran Turismo Sport on the PS4 and they were running the the original from the PS1 right next to it. And he, he pointed out, because he's, he's not like a, as far as I understand, he's not like a lifelong Sony man. He's come in from somewhere else. And he, he looked at the original Gran Turismo Sport and went, why would anyone want to play this? <laughs> and you're like, it, it's it's like he's, he's very willing to speak his mind and that's great. But I think it, it shows 
a, a, like a willingness to trample over other people's legacies a little bit, I think. Yeah. I think from the, a perspective of what we've got now is so much better, mm. why would you want to play that? Which is, I mean, from that point of view, I think quite a lot of people would agree. But you, as in his position, it's not something you say, no. particularly in an event where you're celebrating the legacy and what's gone before and the impact it's had yeah. on what you're now putting out. You phrase it in a very much a different way, yeah. <laughs> even if you want to approach that sort of thing. And I think that's, I mean, that is where the mixed messaging, I think, it might stem from that. Just this, like, maybe he's just got a big mouth. Maybe, you know, he's it, his mouth gets him into trouble more often than it should. Uh, he's yeah. just not particularly politically minded. But, but you know, it doesn't, from the outside, it doesn't seem to come off that way. And one thing's for sure, it certainly gets rid of a lot of, you know, Sony execs. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. I think that the, the interesting thing this generation is going to be how Sony respond to Game Pass and what sort of response it is. So he's previously said that sort of model's not going to work for Sony. We spend too much money on producing the games. Mm. We can't just put them on a subscription service to stay, start off. And he's previously indicated that there is something. And actually very recently, when asked about it directly, he said that there's news to come, but not today. Now, when he previously said there was something coming, I thought that actually at the launch of the PS5, they announced or just before the launch, they announced the BS Plus collection. And I thought that was somehow linked to what he was talking about before. Mm. So it's basically 20-odd games, classic PS4 games, that is a great way to, if you haven't had a PS4 before, or even if you've just missed a lot of those games, to get a new PS4, subscribe to PS Plus, and then you just get a nice little library of really high-quality titles. Yeah. And I thought that actually, yeah, that was what he was talking about and maybe that's going to expand. But I'm not so sure. It hasn't really, they haven't done anything with it, have they? No, it's just been the 20 titles. It's interesting that it does contain first party and third party stuff. Mm -hmm. So there is something something else in there. I I just don't know what what is going to come. And they have actually made some some positive moves we mentioned ratchet and clank but play at home it's part of the sort of global pandemic yeah, that's true they've, um, they've released some free games and now they've they've just chucked about 10 games out there they're about to also add horizon zero dawn to it as well and that's going to be the full full fat collector's type oh, edition really? or the ultimate edition so it includes the expansion and there was a lot of vr games in there as well there was i was surprised at that i was as well I, I, yeah wondering what that actually means mm. so there was the play at home thing i think the ps plus games so we're now getting one ps5 game and a couple of ps4 games generally and i think that particularly when you look at games with gold yeah microsoft microsoft just won't rid of games with gold i mean they don't want it anymore no. game game pass is fantastic value but games with gold they're, they're just fulfilling their commitments in the most basic yeah. way i mean it's i mean i'm actually quite pleased with it but nobody else in the world will be one of the games with gold this 
this month is truck racing. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that's that pretty much shows the level that they're operating at with gold now. And actually, in terms of PS5 support, we're seeing PS5 enhancements for backward compatibility titles continuing to come out. So that it wasn't just a few titles at launch. Its titles have been added and included and and generally sort of 60 FPS updates that have been added to titles that have been quite nice mm. in terms of they, they're just letting them become available, which is quite good. Still nothing for Death Stranding. <laughs> no, I think that's, yeah, nothing for Death Stranding. <clears throat> Bloodborne. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that I mean, that might we'll we'll talk about there's something connected to that very very shortly, I think. So, yeah, I think we've kind of covered streamlining of operations, which is both good and bad, as we've discussed. Mm. <laughs> I think that there was certainly something that needed to happen in that respect to make things a bit more consistent, but they they could have done it without losing the the identity of the various divisions yeah. uh, which brings us on nicely to the single most bewildering thing that sony under jim ryan have done so far which is the closing of studio japan it's a it's substantially reducing or changing but there is still going to be something there based around team asobi yes asobi asobi yeah asobo anyway the um Astrobot yeah. people. I mean, they have lost a huge amount of talent by doing that, even though it's going to center around, you know, Team Asobi or whatever they're called. They've lost massive names by, by closing Japan Studio. It's, yeah, it's been interesting to, uh, and particularly to see some of the sort of passive aggressive goodbye messages from some of the people that have, have left. Yeah. There was one person who had like 20 odd years experience. And one of his little leaving tweets was that picture that's got the guy sat there saying it's all fine. <laughs> whilst there's flames going up around yeah. him. <laughs> yeah. I just seemed a little bit, Hmm. That's interesting. <laughs> exactly. I mean, from a financial perspective, Japan studio hasn't, been putting out yeah, but big hitters. I, I mean, I've seen that argument, but then whose fault is that? Yeah, I'd, that, I'd say that they haven't been given the, the same sort of money or support that the other big Sony studios have. I mean, one, one of the things, this, and I still have a real issue with the way they did this, and I do wonder if this was, uh, again, a part of this power struggle, was the uh, Gravity Rush 2. They, so there was part of the, the mechanic was uh, heavily centred around uh, an online aspect of it where you had to figure out where things were by photographs that were taken by other people. So yeah. you would, uh, the servers would just be, you know, every so often they'd serve you up a, a clue uh, which was a photograph taken by somebody else who'd found the object, and you could try and figure out where that was. Uh, and it was a great little aspect. They can't have been hard, heavy on the servers at all. They closed down the servers after uh, less than a year. It was not long no, at all. It was shocking. Um, and it just felt like, it felt mean. Do you know what I mean? And, it was, and that was one of uh, Studio Japan's uh, bigger projects. And if that's what 
whoever was calling the shots was doing at the time, then, you know, you've got to look at this argument that Studio Japan haven't been making money for the last couple of years with it, it through a different lens. I mean, there's absolutely yeah. no reason to, or certainly to, to me, I couldn't think of a justifiable reason to take that functionality away. Functionality that was being used by people who'd bought the game expecting it to be there. Yeah. So yeah, there's. I do feel like um, Studio Japan have been a little bit of a, a football in, in the middle of all of this. Oh, I think that what they seem to have missed is that the sales of PS4 and you can also see it in sales of PS5 since launch haven't been great in Japan mm. but over this generation in particular there's been a resurgence of Japanese games doing well. I think that they dropped off heavily in the last generation or the one prior to the PS4 but things made a comeback and the sort of game development got sorted out in a lot of the big companies and Japanese games mm had more relevance even if the consoles themselves didn't so much in the homelands it globally they were doing great and that's that for me would be an indication that you need to invest more yeah. produce bigger titles you've got strengths there you've got great talent there again talking of which right so there's a metro article they they wrote now when did they not long ago, 2nd of April, so a few days ago, listing all the all the big names that have left Sony after Japan Studio getting kicked in the teeth. So we have, uh, to start with, uh, Keichiro Toyama, who was the, Toyama, sorry, who was the creator of the Gra Gravity Rush series um, and the creator of Silent Hill. Uh, so he's gone, set up his own studio to do what, guess what? Create a brand new horror game. A uh, also took uh, Junya Okura and Kazunobu Sato with him, uh, who served as lead designer on Gravity Rush and was the lead producer on The Last Guardian. Then the guy who produced Bloodborne, uh, Teruyuki uh, Toriyama, left, um, and he'll be going to a new company in the games industry. Two more Bloodborne staff members left uh, not long after. And then uh, another Bloodborne producer left uh, just in the middle of last month, and he started up his own studio. So it's just been like, I mean, that's a massive, massive amount of uh, talent that Sony should really be trying to keep. Yeah. I mean, that's not even the full story. In fact, um, they've just lost Gavin Moore, who directed the Demon Souls remake. <laughs> Gavin Moore was the one who tweeted the uh, everything's fine. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it it's like... They've gone for the things aren't right. They're not producing the games that we want and they're not producing the games that are selling. The solution was not to <laughs> not a mass cull. The solution yeah. was you're doing the wrong thing somewhere. Fix that. Not these aren't that they haven't stopped being very talented people. Yeah. It's it, I don't know, it feels like you know, killing other killing the competition's babies. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That's grim. That's very grim analogy, and I do apologise, but it feels like that. And this is at a time where Microsoft are doing big things in at least courting Japanese developers. Yeah, I mean, if, if Phil Spencer isn't talking to, I don't know, let's say half of the people who've just been listed, I'd be hugely surprised. <laughs> You've got, he's got a decent relationship with Square 
in terms of putting out all the Final Fantasy games on Game Pass, he's got a very good relationship with Sega, and there's there's lots of little bits and pieces where he's been trying to make inroads and and build bridges, and Sony seemed to be doing the opposite in that respect. Yeah, and that's that's always one of the things that's attracted me more towards being a Sony fanboy than a Microsoft fanboy was the variety of cultures and games that were being produced the markets it was being produced for uh, was wider yeah and that gave me a lot a, a larger variety of games but i think it'll be interesting to see where it goes from now and how what's left of japan studios or team asobi how they get managed and handled hmm. and whether they're allowed to expand it's so obviously they've been producing some stuff that's been very well critically received um and quite rightly so they produce some great games let's see whether if they don't manage to turn that into some big commercial hits yeah but this is the thing they haven't had to no so far it's all been a demonstration of the tech really right here's the other interesting one that we've got in here the mlb game releasing on game pass so this is interesting because the the idea that it was even coming to Xbox was pushed by MLB. So they wanted it on more platforms. And as part mm-hmm. of Sony renewing the license, they had to allow it on more platforms. So Sony have said, okay, we'll produce it. We'll still make the game, but we'll put it out on other platforms. And MLB themselves are publishing on Xbox. That's how, because I can't see... Now, if Sony was still publishing it, it would ever end up on Game Pass. <laughs> it, it certainly, it would feed into the whole mixed messages argument, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> that's really odd. But that's that's how it's come about. And it's that's quite a huge win for Microsoft in terms of not just getting the game on there, but then doing the deal to get it day one on Game Pass. That's... Um, really quite impressive i wonder if it will change let's just say sony rather than naming anyone i wonder wonder if it will change sony's mind about a game pass like service i think microsoft have definitely shown it's workable and it's profitable to do it that way i can see why with the type of games that Sony produce, why it's less attractive to them. Microsoft were almost forced into the position in that they needed to do something different. They couldn't just produce the more powerful machine and keep chucking out their usual franchises. That had got them a certain way and got them a significant chunk of the American market, but left them floundering in other markets. And I think that they were at a point with the Xbox One, where either Phil Spencer started making the division profitable or it was going to go a different way. Yeah, that's true. The the switch to Game Pass and how it's been done, how it's been built up, was a very bold move, and they're seeing the, the fruits of that. But I think that Sony do have to respond in some way. And if it is to the extent of things eventually coming to Sony which we're seeing to an extent anyway, mm. but not day one yeah. for a lot of the stuff. 
I think that's what we will eventually see. But it's whether Sony can get there quick enough because I think that Microsoft are, are potentially going to take quite a big chunk. Yeah, well, I mean, they're already convincing massive publishers to just use their service. Yeah, EA, EA Play is now you know a part of Game Pass. Yeah, that's that's massive in itself. So you know if if Sony don't get moving, you know they won't have any big names to to be part of whatever service they come up with. Yeah, it's interesting. Yes, it is. We didn't really cover, but the price of games has also been a uh, something that's been linked to Jim Ryan and the Jim mm. Ryan era. The fact that games have gone up to seventy dollars, seventy pounds. Yeah, I mean. I don't think anyone will argue that that sounds, you know, it feels a bit worse in pounds than it does in dollars. Yeah, that's my issue with that. I can see that, yes, game prices haven't really gone up much at all. In some respects, they've gone down if you go back to the early cartridge days. But I think the way it's been applied and the fact that Europe, the UK, seems to be somewhat subsidising still. Yeah, yeah, I'd um, agree. Then, and also the way that the price is bandied about as the standard rather than the exception. They're trying to make it the rule rather than you could get away with people agreeing that maybe some of the bigger, huge titles that have hundreds of millions spent on them and are essentially a single player experience where they're not really making much money on anything else. Mm-hmm. That, that then potentially you'd you wouldn't begrudge them charging the higher price. But when it's applied to such a wide range of new titles, whatever they are and whether they're they're chocked full of extra transactions or not, then I think you'd you'd start losing people. Yeah. Particularly when your opposition, your main opposition, is putting out all of their stuff for free as long as you've got your game pass sub that that just makes it look a little bit worse <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're not wrong you're not wrong i mean there is so i i have no issue with you know arguing that is important to maintain the value of any creative person's work i think that's really important and i think it's important that people value it and i think that there is there's a, a little bit of a niggle, I think, in the back of my head that Game Pass might affect that, the, the, the way that people see the amount of work that's gone into this and, and how they value that. It's already pretty bad in terms of people going, I'm not paying for that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like the next one that's, and, you know, I can still, I can see the other side as well. But the next one that's getting that a lot is Returnal, which is coming out next month, uh, this month. Yeah, and I think a lot of the attitude towards Returnal is that they're used to Housemark producing small indie shooters. Yeah, and and so they're bulking at the idea of paying full price for a Housemark game, regardless of how good it might be or how much work has gone into it. And I, I do want to worry that a service like Game Pass is going to make that worse, you know. And I, I do hope that people kind of can bring themselves to understand the value of the time and effort and passion has gone into these things yeah i think the game pass or the game pass model is significantly supported by a certain type of game or games that are not going to make decent money yeah 
when sold up against other games or games that have a decent amount of DLC or microtransactions where they can make money and they make more money based on the the total number of users they have rather than sales initially. And then that's then supported by Microsoft games, which are all coming day one. So that's, and games that Microsoft buy in and the more people that they get on Game Pass, the better they can do. And we're still already seeing that. I feel like that if you're on Game Pass, then it's good for you. But I worry about the stuff that's not on Game Pass because not everything gets on Game Pass. And yeah, it, that's true. All the yeah. game, all the developers that get on there, it's generally a good deal for them. And you you hear that from various people. That yeah, there was an interesting article. Was it Eurogamer did a good in depth piece about it recently? Yeah, it's it's Game Pass is does offer good deals to developers publishers particularly compared to other services does that mean it's always going to not necessarily and 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 as i said my fear is the what is the impact on the games that aren't on game pass don't want to be on game pass there's certain types of games that really don't suit that sort of model yeah so um yeah i hopefully sony can come up with something that offers similar value but also suits what is their more traditional single player high high cost development stuff that they they put out as well yeah. it's interesting times <laughs> um how much did we want to talk about vr not a huge amount but i think it's worth mentioning because again this is feeds into this general theme that we have with uh, Jim Ryan at the head and the mixed messaging that seems to come from him. And it's it, it's just a weird thing. Um, so I, I've got down here a number of articles um, and I'll link these in the description if anyone wants to take a deep dive into these themselves. But back in October, end of October, October 29th last year, he said on The Verge, or it wasn't on The Verge, I can't remember where he said it, but the article is in The Verge. But he said that VR wouldn't be a meaningful part of gaming for years. And the general impression he got from what he was saying was that he was kind of hedging his bets and it felt like, it really did feel like they weren't planning on PSVR 2 coming anytime soon. It just felt like, certainly with the old PlayStation PlayStation VR headset needing a special adapter, not working with the new camera, which really pissed me off because I bought one. All of these things, it felt like Sony was not bothered with uh, last-gen PSVR, and then you heard uh, Jim Ryan say that um, so what was his quote? It says, I think we're more than a few minutes from the future of VR. Uh, PlayStation believes in VR, Sony believes in VR, wishy-washy-wishy-washy, and we definitely believe at some point in the future VR will represent a meaningful component of interactive entertainment. Will it be this year? No. Will it be next year? No. But will it come at some stage? We believe that. And I remember being, when I read that, being really pissed off and, and feeling not a little betrayed given Sony's role in VR up to that point. And then... Six months later, less than six months later, February the 23rd, they introduced the next generation of VR. And it's really weird. Communication from Sony has been, it's almost, it's either just, we've already planned this out, this is how it's going to be, 
we're not going to react to stuff. We're just going to put out when we're ready, and this is what we're going to say. Mm. And I think with VR, they're wanting to try and create a distinction between the old and the new, but it's, it's ended up being yeah. quite clumsy. Yeah. I just think it's he has the, his first interview there, the one back in October, has the hallmarks of the Jim Ryan that says, why would anyone want to play that? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And then you end up with a completely new version and he has to kind of effectively backtrack. I mean, the day after they announced that Jim Ryan is saying there will be a completely new VR format for PS5, you know, and it's, and then weeks later, they're showing you amazing looking new controllers, which look like they're yeah. ready to go. And, you know, it could be next year. And it's just, it's such a weird setup that they've got at the moment. And it, it, they really need to get their ducks in a row, I think, because at the moment, it, you know what it feels like? It feels like he's got an idea of where he wants to go and he's skeptical about things like crossplay. Uh, it feels like he's skeptical about things like PSVR. But he's actually not the boss of Sony itself. Yeah. And they have ideas about the hardware they want to sell and where they want to, to go. And suddenly he's the head of Sony PlayStation, but all his henchmen are gone and he's surrounded by people who are specialists in VR in those positions. And, you know, if I was playing a strategy game, I would be thinking that he's fairly isolated and ripe for picking <laughs> off. Do you know what I mean? It, it just feels like they need to stop kind of moving around the battlefield and just get on with things right now. They're, what they're not doing is taking advantage of the lead they have. Yeah. So, yeah, that's all I'll say at the moment because, oh, yeah, and interesting to note, the guy who Ryan replaced, a guy called John Cadera, who was an inter interim PlayStation CEO, is he got moved a bit like Shuhei Yoshida. He, he got moved away to somewhere relatively insignificant and now he's getting moved further away so there's a, an, another little wrinkle in there as well kind of pushing away all of these people will it will lead us on very very nicely into our next episode where we're going to talk about the state of affairs of vr in general and that's an interesting state of affairs because right now it's looking like facebook owns vr and that's quite <laughs> worrying <laughs> and that's that's why it's frustrating we need people like like sony to get their act together and provide some form of opposition i hope that was uh an interesting and not too ranty <laughs> uh, look into what uh seems to be happening if you're an outsider it seems to be happening uh, in sony right now certainly at playstation And yeah, what we are going to talk to briefly before we finish up is what we're looking forward to between now and the next episode. For me, I'm just kind of working my way through back catalogue stuff. Actually, one of the things I didn't mention before was Octopath Traveler, which is a Japanese game, which came to Game Pass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's day, true, day actually, one yeah. of its release on Xbox One xbox series whatever so i'm carrying on playing that playstation wise i've got outriders so now that the server's good <laughs> i'm going to progress yeah. that a bit further do you know how that plays with so the way destiny works it doesn't really matter whether you've got varied levels in a group how does outriders handle it's i think it's different if think it's different but um 
I mean, I've made a point of keeping a relatively low level character if you okay. want to go up. That's good. I think, I mean, it, a bit like Destiny, I think once you get to end game, I think that changes and it's not so much about your kind of power level, it's about other okay. stuff. So, you know, then it'll be a bit easier to go up. Okay. So, actually, in terms of releases over the next month, there's not a huge amount coming that I've do we have a bit of a drought it's coming a in? little bit of the the covid effect so stuff that was right mostly done has managed to survive covid and and get put out there but now we're hitting stuff that had disruption right in the middle of production and that stuff mm. has taken a, a bigger hit so we've seen quite a lot of stuff pushed out into the later months it does mean we're going to have quite a good summer rather than the drought in the summer but early year where things tend to get shifted so that they don't get um, swallowed up by the Christmas before and the multitude of releases then a lot of those have just been pushed out a bit further yeah well they, I mean to be honest I'm, I'm quite happy with that I've got two games on the go which are massive time sinks into in terms of outriders and um monster hunter so i'm not so bothered about a drought i am looking forward to can't remember what the date is but i'm looking for really looking forward to returnal 30th of april okay just inside this month then yeah so end of this month yeah uh, and that that might be another time sink actually because it's fully procedurally generated and lots of uh, leaderboards to go for and there's a daily challenge and all sorts of stuff it's actually uh, ironically enough uh, they did a decent write-up about it on the sony blog and it was a very interesting read just a couple of days ago um i can't really think of anything else that is mlb the show and moto <laughs> gp21 I mean, I, I'm normally a sucker for the MotoGP, or I used to be a sucker for the MotoGP games. And this is the first one, I think, uh, that is properly developed for next-gen. Yeah. So I might grab that, but they also do tend to eventually go to Game Pass. Yeah. <laughs> and this is the thing, you know, do I value it enough to pay for it or wait? <laughs> Just check what we got Xbox-wise. Not a huge amount. Well, I mean, MLB is the big one. Early early May we've got Biohazard Village or Resident Evil Village and Hood Outlaw and Legends that looks quite interesting. Near replicant version dot one dot two two four seven four four eight seven one three nine. And that's his real name is out. And I I loved the the last near that came out. That was really good. So this but this one, I believe, is not a platinum game. So, isn't this one the? Is this one the remake of the first one, but done from a slightly different perspective than the one we had released in the West? Yeah, well, well which is kind of fitting because Near does this different perspective thing very yeah. well. Anyway, if if you think you've finished Near, the chances are you haven't. Um, you run through it again, and you'll find different perspectives. To I did enjoy the first Near. It was um, it yeah. quite different in some respects from Near Automata, but there was some really quite poignant little quests and side quests that the Postman one was particularly uh, particularly good. Yeah, so I might I might go for that. 
because uh, I, you know, I was quite happy to hear it was coming. So that is April the 23rd. Strategy Nuts will want to have a look at Total War Rome Remastered on April the 29th. Uh, for me, it's basically Returnal on April the 30th. And that rubbish Terminator. Yeah. <laughs> Terminator Re- Resistance, which you asked for an enhanced version. <laughs> it only came out in 2019. Yes. Yeah, so there's there's not a huge amount this month. Ghost of Tsushima is what I'm picking up from my uh, backlog list next, um, which has the PS5 patch, or at least the sort of 60 frames per second stuff. And uh, yeah, so that's... Yeah, I'm, I'm about halfway through and I was waiting for, for that patch. So uh, maybe the drought will see yeah. me through it. Right, well, it's a longer one, but with a deep dive, I think we can... We can live with an hour yeah. and a half. So yeah, I hope that was enjoyable, informative. Let us know. Be nice though, because we're only just, you know, we guys coming out of a speaker. But yeah, uh, let us know if you have any pertinent information about the subject or any ideas for what we could talk about in other episodes as well. Uh, and I'm aiming that at you, Derek, because I know you're our only listener. <laughs> yeah, and that's it. So it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. See ya. Bye. This podcast was produced by Dan Densley and edited by Christy McPherson. It was presented by both of those idiots. The music is Game Over by Daniel Zambo, made available royalty-free on Upbeat.io. Further specifics in the description. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube and Twitter. We're Clod of War on both sites. Bye!